Am I on? I am. Good. Okay, so uh, the week before last, I was at New Day with all the young people. Had a great time. But you know how teenagers sometimes straight say some strange things? I was, I was there watching them play football, and one of them says to the other, oh, it's September in like three and a half weeks. And the other one said, well, let me just give you some context before I say what the other one said. The other one said, whilst we were out in 30 degree heat with parched brown dry grass in the middle of summer at a summer festival with sunburns galore, with shorts and t-shirts on, one says, it's going to be September in like three and a half weeks, and the other one, naming no names Paige Peterson, says, oh, that means it's nearly Christmas. <laughs> and I just stood there thinking about what I'd just heard. In what way is it nearly Christmas? But do you know what it showed me? It showed me there is someone who loves Christmas. And unfortunately, she's not in here at the moment to tell you what time of year she puts up her own Christmas tree. But if you start talking to Paige about Christmas, she, she starts glowing. She loves Christmas. This, I wonder what it's like in the Peterson household. What does Paige get like around Christmas? Energy levels kind of elevated. elevated. Now, I think the thing about that is when someone loves Christmas, it's kind of something that permeates a bit through their being. Right? It wouldn't make sense to say, oh, this person... They're such like a Christmassy person. They're just really selfish and hate company. You know, because there's something, there's something incongruent about that. Actually, the more you love kind of this event that kind of heightens something, the more it should permeate through who you are in all ongoing instances. Now, this morning, if we open up our Bibles to Luke 14, we're going to see uh, Jesus out for lunch. Now, Anna, Anna asked me a few days ago, what are you preaching on a Sunday? And I said, well, uh, I don't really know how to sum it up. It's Jesus having lunch. But uh, there's something that Luke points out three times that they were given, and I think it really brings the whole passage together. So don't just, don't just think that it's kind of three passages that have been randomly stitched together. Let's just see what the, the, what's going on here. So Luke 14, verses 1 to 15, says this. One Sabbath... What day of the week is this on? The Sabbath. Okay, so we're having the story framed for us. One Sabbath, Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee. There's the setting. It's the Sabbath day, and Jesus is going for lunch with a prominent Pharisee. He was being carefully watched, and there in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling in his body. For, for the medically minded amongst you, this is almost certainly dropsy, a condition where you get terrible swelling. Jesus asked the Pharisees and the experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, 
for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when the host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. All those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. and We just pray this morning that as we hear it and as we engage with it, that you would speak to us, that you would challenge us. In the name of Lord Jesus, in the name of the Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. So we're told this is a Sabbath day. That's them drawn out three times. Jesus is there. Luke tells us on the Sabbath, and then Jesus says, "Is it lawful for a man to heal on the Sabbath?" And then he talks about a, a child or an ox falling into a well on the Sabbath. What would you do? So clearly, what we're being told here is the significance of this event. Of this event, the framing of this event is it's a lunch on a Sabbath. Now, as we're going to see as we kind of work through it, the point that I think that this passage is making for us is, are you Sabbath people? I think that's the challenge that Jesus gives to these uh, these Pharisees as he comes and sits with them. And one of the things I mean by that is, when we think of the Sabbath, we probably just think of a day. When I said what day of the week was this, some people said Saturday. Yes, that's right, the Jews did honor the Sabbath on a Saturday. But the point is that the Sabbath is a lot more than just the day. If we, in fact, just look in Deuteronomy chapter 5, I think we've got the verses, just listen to this Sabbath commandment. It says this, Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord. On it you shall not do any work, Neither you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male, nor female servant, nor your ox, nor your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in the land of Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. So the Sabbath is more rooted in a concept that God has bestowed a blessing on you. He has given you something. He has saved you from Egypt. He has given you rest. He has come down and given you a gift that you did not earn. And so now, share it with others. It says, neither you nor your son or daughter or male or female servants, so even the people who serve you, you're not to work and you're not to make them work, And then it extends even to your animals, the ones who are pulling your yoke and doing the things around the farm. Don't let anyone rest. If I'm giving you the rest, then I want you to extend that rest to the people that you make work. It says, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. And then the Lord roots it in the fact that you were slaves. And I spoke something over you when I rescued you. I called you free. 
And so now you will not enslave those who are below you by making them work incessantly as you did in Egypt. And so the Sabbath day is encapsulating a Sabbath concept of God giving rest. So much so that we see this goes a lot more than just the day. Every seventh year is the Sabbath year, and it affects the way we treat the land. You're not to, uh, you're not to plow or plant on the Sabbath year. And every uh, 50 years, every 49 years, so seven sevens, is the Jubilee year, the Sabbath of, of Sabbaths, where all debts are uh, gone, are wiped, where all bonds are cut, where property that has been traded or deposits that have been held are restored. So the Sabbath is much more than just the day that comes around, you know, once a week, every seven days. The Sabbath is a concept about communal rest and restoration, so much so that it can be a Sabbath day, a Sabbath year, and then the Jubilee, the Sabbath of Sabbaths. So if the people of Israel say, we love the Sabbath, we love the fact that God wants us to be blessed by him and to share that blessing to others, they cannot say, I'm good to people on Saturday. I'm good to people on the Sabbath day. That's when I give rest to other people, and the rest of the week I break their backs with labor. That's not being a Sabbath person. In the same way, that, as I said earlier, if you say, I love Christmas, and then the rest of the year you are selfish, you hate your family, you, and so on and so forth, you could say you're not really a Christmassy person. Or someone, for instance, who hates the concept of America, it would be very strange if on the 4th of July they held all the flags up and, oh, you know, it's Independence Day. Because actually the things that we celebrate are an expression of the, the things that we value all the rest of the time. So, for instance, if you're married, you don't just get to kind of make a fuss about your spouse on the anniversary or on their birthday. You know, I really love you today. The rest of the year I'm just going to neglect you. Because actually those things are heightened expressions of the things which are true all the time. The Sabbath day is to be this day where the values that God wants us to hold for ourselves and for others are magnified, where they are expressed pointedly. So one of the things that the Sabbath is about is worshiping God. The people of Israel come together to worship God. It doesn't mean in the middle of the week they can just you know, not give a stuff about who that God person is. They are to be a people marked by Sabbath. And so when they do come on the Saturday to rest, they are coming to a heightened form of who they are all the time. The theologian Herman Barvink once said, very wisely, the Sabbath is to permeate every day of the week. No other day of the week is to come into the Sabbath. I love that concept there. The principle bleeds into all the others, but the labors of the others don't come into that day. So what we see, as I say, in this command in Deuteronomy 5 is God has given you a gift vertically, and that gift is beyond words. It's immeasurable. Rest, salvation, goodness, relationship with God, and now you are to just pass on a pale imitation of that to, to those around you. You are to allow them to have rest and, and time with their family and, and so on and so forth. So that's what it means to be Sabbath people. So then when we come back to Luke 14, and we're told this is a Sabbath day, they've come around for a lunch, 
And it seems as though this man who has this terrible illness, who's kept ill, has only been invited round to be a pawn in this game that the Pharisees are playing. Can we get Jesus to heal on a Sabbath? Because if we get him to do that, we can catch him out. So we'll get this guy around. We'll, we'll bring him around. We'll sit him somewhere at the end of the table. And Jesus, they don't even want Jesus around to share Sabbath with him. They want Jesus around to catch him out. Because if you heal on a Sabbath, you can't really be on God's side. You can't really be faithful to what God wants. And you, you get the impression that Jesus sits there and he notices the man with dropsy and he just goes, oh, for goodness sake, I know what this is about. And it says they're intently watching him. You know, that there's an ill man. You've just suspiciously sat me next to him. You've all got your eyes on me. So let me just ask you, is it lawful to heal, to heal on the Sabbath? And it says they had nothing to say. They remained silent. You kind of get the, the sense from Jesus that... I feel like Jesus often gets more frustrated than the gospel writers maybe present. You can think, just imagine him thinking, you're not even going to answer me. You've, you've planted the trap and you're too cowardly to even engage with my question. So it says Jesus just took hold of him and healed the man and noticed that he sent him on his way. See, if the man was actually there for the lunch, why has Jesus sent him on his way? Well, hang on a second, I want him to enjoy the lunch. Jesus go, no, 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 go, go, well, okay, well, I'll go find my own lunch. He's not there for the lunch. He's there as a pawn in their game. So Jesus, having sent him away, having sent this innocent man who's been a victim of their pride away, he then just turns to them and says, if your child fell, or one of your oxes, if they fell into a well, if they were incapacitated, if they were... Um, in chains on a Sabbath day would you get them out? And the funny thing is that when they say yes it almost seems like that's the exception. Yeah, that's one of the things that's allowed on the Sabbath. And actually that's not only allowed on the Sabbath that makes perfect sense with what the Sabbath is about. The Sabbath is a day for giving rest and restoration. So if someone has fallen over, that is the day to get them out. That is the day to help them. Yeah, do it on a Wednesday and a Tuesday as well, but like, especially now, you know, it's not good to have an argument with your family, but especially don't do it on Christmas Day. And again, it says they had nothing to say. Notice this, twice Jesus has put a question to them, a statement to them, and they're stunned. Nothing to say. So then goes on. He notices that they've all... He stands up now. Now that's out of the way. And he looks around. And he goes, and, and while we're at it, you all just came in and took the places of honor. Now let me just explain, because this is something that we don't have in common with the ancient world. In the ancient world, whenever you have a public event, a dinner or a lunch or some kind of celebration, the seats are always graded from the most honorable to the least honorable. And that sounds very foreign to our way of thinking today. Like imagine if uh, there was kind of like the, the best church members at the front and then if you're new, you kind of have to sit at the back and you know, we'll let you know when you can come forward. That's very foreign to our thinking. It's really not even that uh, old, uh, that, that newly gone. I mean, even in the 20th century, beginning of the 20th century in Anglican churches, the aristocracy would have been given the chairs at the front they paid for their churches for their chairs 
and the chairs for the poor people would have been behind the pillar, the, the less good seats. So it's not really that foreign a concept, but thankfully we don't do that anymore. But in the ancient world, it's a big deal. And you come in and you decide how honorable you think you are, and you go and take that seat. I think, I think actually, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think even weddings, we kind of do this today. It's kind of the closer you are to the top table, the more known you are to the bride and groom. That's the kind of the traditional way of doing it. So kind of imagine if you turned up at a wedding, didn't really know them that well. You just kind of got a family connection. You just think, oh, I might just go take a seat at the top table. What's going to happen? The, the host or the MC or the, the best man or someone is going to come and say, what do you think you're doing? Get up and go find your seat. And in the presence of everyone, you're going to be shamed. You're going to look like an idiot. And so Jesus says, you know, you come in, and I've noticed you've all chosen your, your seats of honor. I, know, I noticed you all think you're this honorable or that honorable. How about this? Choose the lowest seat. Because what's going to happen in that situation? If the best man goes and sits at the chair at the back, then the groom's going to come along and say, what are you doing? Come join me on the top table. And in the presence of everyone, they're publicly honored. So in the same way, in this setting where you have all these grading of seats, if the host comes and says, what are you doing here? No, you, you know, you're special to me. Come and, come and sit a bit further up the table. You are being honored in the sight of others. So Jesus is kind of saying, humble yourselves. Humble yourselves knowing, now this is something that comes right through the Bible. This is something we really need to understand as, as Christians in our own spirituality, as a church, in a nation. When you put yourself lower, God exalts you. James 4.10, humble yourselves before God and he will exalt you. It's that famous Puritan prayer called the Valley of Vision, where it says, help me learn, Lord, that the place of height is in the depths, that in the valley is where I see the sun. When you go low, God raises up. I mean, isn't that the story of Jesus? That Jesus went to the lowest, that he took on the sin of the world, that you and I could be forgiven. And in that, Peter's sermon in Acts 2, because he did that, God raised him up and gave him the name above all other names. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess. He was humbled so that he could be exalted. So Jesus kind of takes this analogy and says, humble yourselves. Stop trying to work out how honorable you are, which seat you get at. Now again, this is on the Sabbath. If there is one day where you're not supposed to be thinking about how great you are compared to other people, it's the Sabbath. This is the day where you're supposed to be reflecting on the gifts that God has given you. Remember, you were slaves in Egypt. You were slaves. And God gave you rest. I mean, think about what the gospel is. Think about the fact that what we proclaim is you are a sinner. You are far from God. You don't belong in God's presence and deserve nothing but wrath and condemnation. But, as Romans 5 says, when we were still dead in our sins, God showed his love for us. God raised us up with him. So the message of the gospel is, you were so low and God came and showed an unfathomable kindness to you. So do you have a high view of yourself? Do you think you're really that great? Or actually, God... It was quite a logical decision saving me, actually. That was, that was good of you. If, if there was anyone, God, that you should have had in your kingdom, it was me. 
No. This is about reflecting on the place of honor that we've been given as a gift of grace. And then Jesus carries on as he goes down this. They still have nothing to say. But he does say this. You'll be honored in the presence of all the other guests. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. And then he turns to the host. You know, I've had a go at the guests. Now I'm going to look at you. When you give a luncheon or a dinner, he says, don't just invite the people who are going to pay you back. Now, again, this is something that we need to clarify about in the ancient world. In the ancient world, it's all kind of quid pro quo. I scratch your back, you scratch mine. If I invite you over for lunch, I better get my invite in the next few weeks. Henny and Jen, I think we had you over last week, so when's the Mulford pudding coming? Good, glad to hear it. It's very much a, I do this, you do it back. I invite you to my birthday. I invite you to my birthday party, you come to mine. No, other way around. I go to yours. And so if I host a lunch, you better pay me back. And so with that also comes the concept that you only invite people at the same social level as you. So you look around the table. Who's kind of in the same gradient of seating as I am? Okay, I'll invite them around. I'm not going to invite someone higher than me because that would be impertinent. You know, why would I bring them down to my level? But I'm not going to invite anyone lower than me because... When they invite me back, what am I going to eat? You know, scraps of bread, old meat? No thanks. So I'll invite people in my level, at my class, and then I can be you know, well-fed and, and, and given what I give back. So really, it's kind of like, well, went out for lunch this week, but I'll have to do it again next week. I'll have to do double. So it's never actually a gift. It's always just a payment and a favor. So Jesus says, huh? Pardon? You invite Andy. <laughs> so Jesus says, just stop it. I mean, this is radical what Jesus says. When you invite, when you have a banquet, when you're putting on airs, when you've got the nice crockery out, I want you to invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. And you will be blessed, although they cannot repay you. In other words, you're going to the people who simply do not have enough to return the favor with no expectation that they will try. They cannot be repay you, but you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. You get this point that everything we do, every, every action we do, every time we try and honor God faithfully with what we have, Jesus talks about storing treasure in heaven, looking forward to the day of the resurrection, looking forward to the fact that God will repay everything that was ever done. Now notice this. What's been the common refrain every time Jesus has said anything? And they were silent. He condemns them for their treatment of others, and they were silent. He does it again, and they were silent. Now he says, you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And they say, ah, oh, can't wait. Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Now we've got something to say. I'm looking forward to that because I'll be there. Let's just get this in perspective, though. So Jesus has just talked about the fact that they only invite people of their kind of equal class to their banquets. That's the order of business. That's what we do. And then when Jesus talks about the banquet that God's going to host, their assumption is, and I'll be invited. You see what the assumption is there? We're on the same level as God. Of course I'm going to be there. 
Let's just go back. Vertical, horizontal. God gives something that we're unable to put into words. God gives something amazing and calls us to give a pale imitation of that to those around us. God is hosting a banquet for those who do not deserve it, for sinners who should be far from him, to those who should be his enemies, who he paid the price to bring back. Now horizontally, his people are saying, I'm only gonna invite people of the same class. This is why Jesus says to them, stop thinking of yourself in that way. Invite the people who simply cannot repay you, because that is a pale imitation of what God has done for you. That is the smallest whisper of the shout that God is speaking over you when he calls you his child. To be able to come down to those who do not have the ability to repay you for the small acts of kindness that you do, and let's be honest, being invited into God's kingdom to dwell forever and ever doesn't really you know, pale in compa- pales in comparison to you know, being invited over for a chicken casserole on a Sunday. So it's the smallest thing that you can do. But that is a pale imitation of what God has done for you. So the great irony in this passage is that this is on a Sabbath. They themselves know it's on a Sabbath because they've tried to catch Jesus out on a Sabbath. And they're saying, yeah, we're Sabbath people. We're people who keep the Sabbath, so much so that we don't like it when you heal people on the Sabbath. And yet in all three of these stories, Jesus shows, no, you are not. You are in word only. If you were really Sabbath people, then you would spend some time acknowledging what God has done for you. If you were really Sabbath people, you would spend time blessing those around you. You would spend time giving a small, pale imitation of that rest that God has given to you to those around you. Now, you are welcome to agree or disagree with me on this or not. I I am convinced that... um, Sunday stands as a Sabbath to be kept by Christians, to to rest from our labors and to allow others to rest from their labors. Whether or not you agree with me or not is somewhat aside from the point. Because the point that does stand is we are called to be Sabbath people. If you do agree and you think that Sunday is the Sabbath and it should be honored, then that should be the point where we are most expressing that. If you don't, fine. But nonetheless, we are obligated as God's people to be Sabbath people who spend time thinking about the fact that the gifts that we have been given are gifts. And so I'm going to use those gifts to bless those who cannot do anything about it. Uh, Sorry, who cannot do anything to repay it. Those who are less fortunate. Those who are in need. Those who are in chains. Those who have fallen into proverbial wells, if you like. Who are spiritually in need. Who need someone to talk to. It's funny how often you hear phrases today like, oh, I just need to be with people who energize me. I just need to stay away from people who drain me. And as much as I want to say, yeah, it is important that we, you know, don't go beyond what we can do. There's there's no glory in kind of burning out for Jesus. At the same time, that is what it looks like to be Sabbath people sometimes. To do spend time with the people who drain you maybe, but because they've got no one else to drain to be spending time with the people who need your time. To be providing for those who simply would not be able to pay it back. I remember my uh, principal at Bible College telling me that 
one of the big battles he had with the church that he used to pastor is there was a, a young man who was in need and they, uh, they gave him a financial gift, quite a, quite a big one really to support him. And the next week he'd turn up to church in a new car and in the elders meetings there was, there was this big kerfuffle about, you know, we, we gave him that gift, as, we gave him the money as a gift that he needed and why is he doing this new car? And the principal, Steve, just said, it's not our money anymore. We gave it to him as a gift. We didn't give it with a contract. We didn't say you can only spend it on this. The gift is his. And it's that same thing. We can be very kind of stingy with what we think is a good thing to do with the gifts that God's given us. And actually, I think God wants us to just do bless people. He gives, I mean, for instance, you look at the Sabbath commandment. He gives us that gift, and he doesn't say, and you can only do this, and you can only do that, and you can only do this. There's a few rules there, but as a framework to give you something good. He doesn't lay out an itinerary for your day. And so in the same way, when we are blessing those around us, it should be the same. I just want to bless you, and I trust you to do what's right with that blessing. I was speaking to someone this week who told me that their um, parents were kind of old school evangelicals, very, very, very diligently kept Sundays as a Sabbath. They wouldn't have any games. They wouldn't uh, have people around. They wouldn't do anything that was considered fun on a Sunday. Very strict about keeping the Sabbath. But he said to me, but they were cold, unkind, and unforgiving people. There's a great irony there. We love the Sabbath. We love what God's given us. We love what defines us as a people. But we are unchristian in our outlook towards other people. We are unchristian in our gifts of grace to those who need it. We're people who've received the mercy of God and we don't show mercy to others. Think about the reading that Victoria read at the beginning. Clothe yourselves as God's holy people with these things. Forgive others, for you too were forgiven. The Lord's Prayer. Forgive us as we forgive others. The Sermon on the Mount. The merciful will receive mercy. It's, it's such a common refrain in the Scripture. What God has given you, show to others. So, we have to not be like the Pharisees, who have nothing to say when we're called up on the way that we don't walk consistently with what we say, but when Jesus has something good that we think we're going to receive, suddenly we've got everything to say. This is kind of a sad story, I think. You know, it's just Jesus going for lunch, but it's Jesus exposing that his people have completely missed the boat. Let's not be found like the Pharisees. Let's be a Sabbath people. A be a people who rejoice in the rest that God's given us. What a blessing that is to know that we're forgiven by God. To know that we've been welcomed into his kingdom. Amazing but then to show that love, to show that mercy, to show that grace in the smallest, palest imitation that we can to those around us, to have a keen eye to see who needs help, who can I help, to not be worrying about things like, oh, but are they going to be able to do it back? You know, what will I get out of this? How much of myself am I putting on the line? How much has God put on the line for you? Let's be a people who walk consistently with the calling to which we are given. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the true and ultimate Sabbath that is Jesus Christ. 
Lord, we thank you for the rest that we have in him. Lord, we thank you that we can say that we stand before you entirely on your merits, not on ours. And Lord, we pray that we would just be keen to experience that rest and that love. That we wouldn't just know it in our heads. That we wouldn't just be light without heat. But Lord, that we would know deeply in our bones what it means to be forgiven what it means to have been given rest by God himself. And Lord, let that heat and that warmth emanate out from us to those around us. May we show what it means to be forgiven by being forgiving. Lord, help us to give rest to those who need it, to our society, to our world, to our families, to our spouses. And Lord, we pray that as a community, as the Vine Church, you would bind us together as a Sabbath people, as a people who walk in the knowledge of God. So in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.